Welcome to another great episode of the Arantia Radio Podcast. I am very excited to have on the program Byron Beletzos, who has written a great new book, which I've had the pleasure of reading, and it's entitled Truths About Evil, Sin, and the Demonic Toward an Integral Theodicy. Byron Beletzos joining us. Don't forget, you can always check us out online, urantiaradio.net, and we appreciate you sharing these podcasts with your friends. And thanks for joining us. Byron Belitzos is my guest, and he has written a seminal book we'll talk about called Truths About Evil, Sin, and the Demonic. Byron has been with us numerous times, also wrote Your Evolving Soul, which I highly recommend. It also delves into the evil concept, original sin. Uh, but today we're going to talk about something called theodicy, which is the ongoing philosophical and theological debate over God's influence on humanity, why evil is allowed to exist at all, and questions that theologians through the ages have grappled with. Why does God allow evil? Is evil a real construct? All of which Byron addresses in his latest book. Byron has also been reading the Arantia book for decades and continues to give lectures and seminars pertaining to the Revelation's teachings, and we are honored to have Byron on the program in this very candid interview. Five years, huh? Five years? I kind of thought of it five years ago when I decided to leave the West Coast and go to a seminary. Uh, that was 2018. And I, I sort of knew that this would be the issue uh, for me to study theology since I just grew up so sensitive to, you know, the problem of evil. So, yeah, it's five years. So I started writing little papers, little kind of parts of the book were papers I wrote for classes. And, and so I was getting... Uh, getting some momentum with it in these small papers, and then suddenly it came together that, oh, yeah, the UB really addresses the key issues that theology has been grappling with in in, in this regard. And, and I, I vaguely, I mean, I knew that, but once you read these things like St. Saint Augustine or Aquinas or, uh, you know, the modern theologians, they're, they're dealing with the same issues that the Urantia book does when it talks about evil and good. Uh, so it's not like, you know, the Urantia book just popped out of nowhere. You know, it's, it's in a big conversation with this huge tradition. And you take us through this history. It's, was it, did it all come together naturally, or how long did it take you to write it, and then how many times did you rewrite it? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it took, you know, I had to write a master's thesis, you know, so uh, after the second year, you write the thesis. So I took uh, maybe three months to, to write it, and uh, it was a short version of this book. The, the uh, But uh, it, it, you, write, you write something like that, and you think, well, I still got, you know, 50 other books I wanted to read, and I still want to, you know, mm -hmm. drill down on this issue or that issue, and, and it's just lingered around and I, I, I so it really you know when when I had an opening <clears throat> it was in a kind of a a uh, contract uh, uh, job uh, uh, with a, a nonprofit and when that ran out uh, I, I just took the time to kind of rewrite everything about ten times <laughs> yeah so so let's dig into that a little bit so first of all we, we, we since you were so eloquent, Tell us about the theodicy and why it's so important to this discussion that we have about God and freedom of a will and and evil uh, and horrendous evil. Tell us how theodicy sort of intertwines these three. 
A friend of mine, uh, when 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 I, I said the Odyssey, he thought I was talking about Homer. You know, the Odyssey and the right. Iliad. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's it's not Homer. It's it's Sea Odyssey, and the D I C Y in the end is is sort of making God, uh, making God, or exonerating God in the face of evil. And it is pretty much common sense, right? It's, it's what every, every person of faith is mainly struggling with is, you know, why do I have so much anguish and so much, you know, sort of perpetration, um, uh, that you see, why is God allowing all of this? And is God really there for me and for us? And so, I mean, we all have that, uh, I mean, even children and, um, so it wasn't really handled in a f- systematic way until really later in the 17th century when the term was coined by a philosopher, Leibniz, a famous philosopher at the time. But it was already intuitively there in, in all of the early writings, and even in the Bible, even in Paul, in St. Paul especially, is, you know, what, what do we, how do we grapple with this, you know, this this demonic, at least in the biblical sense, you know, the b- demonic presence. And uh, wh- wh- why is God, uh, but, but, but then, well, okay, so God sent his, his only son, you know, the early Christians said, you know, and that, that's kind of a theodicy because God is addressing the problem. He's sending his, his son to sort of wage spiritual war against these forces demonic forces, as the early Christians thought. And um, he confronted uh, Satan, and he deposed him. You know, so these kind of activities are this very enactment of theodicy that early ancient Christians sort of saw that, that you know, God's, uh, God's got our back, you know, against these forces. Because you know, they were dealing with this, you know, really pretty violent and dark power, you know, the Roman Empire, that was uh, basically enslaved them, the Jews. So, you know, they're reaching out for, a, for an answer. Is it going to be a Messiah that will lead us, you know, into a new, a new world or will it will be something else, right? So, so you know, the, so we get the sort of the first theodicy is what we read in the Bible and I think exemplified in, uh, say, Gospel of John. And, but it, it's, it's based on this notion of a kind of a conflict in heaven, a war in heaven. And that's the first of uh, seven or eight distinct versions that I trace all the way up to modern theology. They're different renditions mm-hmm. of good, good versus evil, and how good prevails, and how God is is sort of defended. You know, defending God's omnipotence. So this 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 issue of omnipotence is you know critical to this because you know God's all powerful. So you know what? Come on, God, come and pull us out of this calamity that we're in the middle of if you're all powerful and if you really love us show us that you care and the you know providential care yeah, but there's a lot of ways to 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 address it and and there are at least three distinct ways that ancient christianity uh began to do theodicy and, and we hear it today as you mentioned you know many people refuse to believe in God, especially post-Holocaust, because they ask themselves this very integral question is, if there's a God, why does he allow evil to happen? A loving God would prevent, and that's when you get into the theodicy. That's when you're trying to, like you say, exonerate God for the evil 
that is, for some reason, allowed to happen? Why do we suffer? All of these questions that could come into every moral person's head. And what your book did so eloquently is it, it, it took the various theodicies of the people down through the ages and how it, in each generation it was almost like everybody had their their well-thought-out opinion of what they what they thought of theodicy. What does what is God's relationship? Do we really have free will? Is everything predetermined? If everything's predetermined, maybe we don't have free will. And that is that is the 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 ongoing debate in theodicy. Uh, well said, Jim. Yeah, I think that's pretty good. That that if, if, if the issue of of, of uh, predetermination or predestination is uh, really comes up in a huge way as as another answer to this, which is that God is in control even of evil. I mean, so evil is not really evil, it appears to be. But God is harvesting these apparently bad experiences for the good, for greater good, actually. And so, you know, that's that's not a bad concept on the surface, and that Christians come up with that, and, and they utilize that, and it still is the in a way, the central teaching of, uh, you know, mainline, at least parts of mainline Protestantism, or mm. certainly fundamentalist Protestantism, for example. Let's go back to the uh, the Enlightenment, the so-called Age of Reason, and, and, and maybe even perhaps the introduction of humanism as its own theodicy, because that's sort of where I see the the modernized secular world today, but this really had its roots during that period of Kant and uh, other philosophers of that era who were trying to debate the, the existence of deity and, and, and played into, you know, the ideas of being endowed by our creator. And those are the things that, some of the things that you bring up in your book. It's uh, uh, analogous to what happened in the 20th century also happened in the 17th century, 20th century we deal, deal with uh, the, the World Wars, Hiroshima. Well, back then they had a really, really great calamity, which was the war that was set off by the Protestant revolt. And, you know, a lot of us don't really get enough instruction about that in high school, college, but it was a really great disaster for the continental Europe, that, which then moved over into England in the Civil War there, 17th century. And it was it really made theology and religion and the church look really bad. So there was a revolt of intellectuals, as you just mm-hmm. indicated. And uh, it's the same kind of revolt that we have today, uh, the secular revolt. And uh, back then it was, well, at least we have human reason. And reasonable people would never countenance you know, religious warfare. Mm-hmm. And and slaughter of you know Protestants by Catholics and vice versa. So let's get rid of that and come back to the material basis of our life. You know, so then you get science and you get the sort of the basic uh, principles of uh, enlightenment philosophy, which natural is law. natural law. And so so rather than the spiritual law, which we get these you know these priesthoods that are you know telling us about these spiritual. Uh, principles, but uh, but we have now we have the ability to measure nature with reason and with mathematics and 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 what do we need these people there because we can create a better world through science really and through rationality. <clears throat> so that becomes in a way a theodicy or a, a or mm-hmm. a substitute for theodicy. Yeah. Tell me who uh, is it Peckham 
the um, the contemporary philosopher religionist that you spoke of who who you mentioned yeah. came very close or has very similar views on theodicy uh to the urantia book so who was peckham oh yeah great yeah john peckham um you know when you when you look at the literature you you find the outstanding books on this and he was really perhaps the best i've seen uh by the- theodicists, by philosophers of religion. And he uh, is more on the conservative side. He's actually a Seventh-day Adventist, but very, very high-level uh, philosophically trained theologian at, at the very apex of, 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 that, of, of that church, uh, teaching their semin- main seminary. So he, he really picked up a lot of threads that the Urantia book has put together already, but he put it together through a couple decades of research that, oh, there must be, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, the devil and the devil's presence, but but there's got to be these mitigating factors that explains why Jesus did not really put an end to the pre- this, the, this, this poor, sort of rebellious angel presence. And we have a mythic, framing of it in the Bible. But let's do, let's do a philosophic framing now that we're, you know, in the postmodern age. How would we look at that as a philosopher, as a theologian? And so he, he shows basically what the Rancher book fills in, which is there had to have been this prior agreement uh, uh, with the satanic forces, which allowed them to remain on the planet even after the incarnation of, of Christ and for them to operate in this kind of modified way, and and that that they would not be adjudicated immediately, although their powers had been had been stripped from them, uh, they still could operate. So it's basically a lot like what the Urantia book said, and he's just inferring it logically from from what we see. No, no way that he would have had any connection with the Urantia book or anything like that, right? He's not aware of it. No evidence that he that he did. In fact, I did. Um, write to him and, you know, praised his work. And I asked him if he would meet with me at the American Academy of Religion that we had a Urantia booth there last November. And then there's uh, also another gentleman you mentioned. You brought it up in your book, but Whitehead was also very revolutionary in taking the religious argument and also talking about why evil exists. Can you uh, share us a little bit about Whitehead's viewpoint in his theodicy? Whitehead, Alfred North Whitehead, was a mathematician and genius who who moved over from mathematics at the very highest level in the world, really, to philosophy. And uh, he and Bertrand Russell wrote the primary text on mathematics in the ni- around nineteen ten. And uh, so he he then came into philosophy when he when he left England, and and and, and went to Harvard. Uh, so he wanted to think through logically the pro- these problems and problem of evil and many other problems, and came up with this notion that deity evolves, and that's uh, really kind of unprecedented. But there was a sense of that uh, a century earlier in Hegel's philosophy. And uh, his school of thought has a huge wing that states that's called open theism. It's very interesting. 
modern wing kind of that comes out of that Whiteheadian view that says, well, God could do that, but God is self-restraining and doesn't do that unless there are, you know, very sort of cosmic and, and critical reasons, which is basically the U, the Urantia book view as well about that. So, but, but Whiteheadians reject the idea of omnipotence and you need to be an omnipotent deity to really do interventions uh, that are uh, eff- efficacious. Mm-hmm. So they, they say that God is not controlling in that way, but God is initiating by his agency known as primordial deity, this is part of deity, that, that has the ability to initiate evolution. And so in a way, it's a, it's a commentary on Darwinian theory. Mm-hmm. But it's but it's a more philosophic and theological. The, the, how does this come into being? Well, this is a creator deity that brings it into being. But the deity doesn't uh, has powers, but the deity doesn't control it. But rather is a deity of persuasion. That that deity provides ways of once rational um, uh, hominid hominids become rational, they uh, can be persuaded by various agencies of deity, which which they which are fairly limited for them. For, for example, they don't really think of of an incarnation of the second person of the Trinity. <laughs> that mm-hmm. that, that it, they don't see it that way. That that it's uh, some of them do, but but Whitehead didn't. That mm-hmm. that it wasn't uh, it wasn't according to the Christian view that God has become incarnate in order to persuade us. But they have the view that God is inside you, and that that's how evolution is is taking place but not through these external agencies that, that an omnipotent deity is able to use. But it's, it's still a beautiful, beautiful notion, because that is the idea, more or less, of the supreme being. Who do you think you really were just went, wow, that was a brilliant you know, thinker? Who impressed you the most? Uh, I think that uh, Whitehead is really near the top. But uh, what I did do in the book is I chose... Uh, this this set of the very best of them, seven or eight, and all of them are kind of equally mm. very profound but partial. And uh, I say that because the the conclusion of the book is is stating these seven or eight great ideas are all to be found in the UB. In other words, the UB also located these ideas and then incorporated them as human sources. Yeah, it has to be because there's sometimes it, it is like with other human sources, there's a there's a there's like a paraphrasing that's pretty direct. For example, Luther is one of the yeah. one of the seven or eight great and Luther's uh, justification by faith is almost literally quoted word for word in the words of Jesus in the Arantia book, and that is part of theodicy. It's a partial view. It's a view uh, having to do with the individual's interior moral life and the kind of surrender and acceptance of one's, that one is saved by faith. And so the, so that's an example of the UB borrowing as a human source from Luther. But, it, but I, I, I argue that, you know, they, they, have a, they have an Olympian knowledge of human theology, the, the revelators. And and so they're going to echo the, the greatest thinkers, and St. Augustine's one of them, obviously. Uh, Aquinas is another, uh, but these more modern 19th century, early 20th century 
they they are echoing Whitehead in very distinct ways, mm-hmm. uh, but also uh, a number of other ones. In a way, is central to the UB's own native theodicy, which we see in the you know statement on the inevitabilities on page fifty-two. I don't think I would have been able to appreciate your book, and I and I recognize that the Orange book has really broadened my understanding of spirituality more than I expected. Were you pleased that the Orange book was consistent? I, I I didn't quite recognize that till you know later later on. Uh, at first, I, I was like a lot of Urantia readers that, well, this is all new. This is totally out of the blue. This, this is pure revelation, never been surpassed. But but what I think of the more mature view is, is is that you realize, oh my God, this is this is actually in conversation with these great thinkers of yeah. the past in our tradition, and literally alludes to. Many of them. Uh, I would add here about about uh, Saint Augustine, who made some big mistakes, but also hit some very high points in his notion of uh, what they call the free will defense of God's goodness. And how this guy could have come up with this uh, is, you know, it's it's the it's the spirit of truth moving through him. But we have to remember always with these human sources. That they are, uh, they are, uh, they are inhibited by their cultural context. And in the next episode, we will continue our discussion with Byron and talk about the state of today's religion, how Christians can help in the Arantia Book movement, and just how much Byron believes the Luciferian influence is impacting current times. Look for part two on the Arantia Radio podcast.